The term Ireland, Venice and Triangle was coined by the Irish media in relation to, an, to the unexplained disappearances of six women throughout Eastern Ireland during the mid-90s. The assumed first victim of the Vanishing Triangle was one of Ireland's most infamous missing persons cases, that of American woman Annie McCarrick, who went missing in spring of 1993. For whatever reason, some cases in this series garnered more attention than others from law enforcement, the media, and the public. By 1998, numerous young women had been reported missing in Eastern Ireland during the previous five years. When 19-year-old Doree Jacob vanished just yards from her home in the summer of 1998, the then Irish Police Commissioner Pat Breen set up Operation Trace in the hope to determine if six specific cases involving missing women were linked, and if a serial killer or killers were operating throughout the eastern region of Ireland. The number of cases in this series has long been disputed as there are possible links. On the 11th of July, 1987, Anne Smith decided to attend a David Bowie concert at Slane Castle Cole Loth, just 30 miles north of Dublin City, where a close friend who was also Anne Tournette's neighbor 27-year-old Anne Toinette left her home in Killahudrick Court, Colinkin, South Dublin, that Saturday afternoon, and took the 56 bus to O'Call Street in Dublin City with her friend, They where they bought tickets for the concert and two David Bowie t-shirts. Antoinette arranged for her two children to spend that night with her ex husband Cole, leaving her free for the night. Having now purchased their tickets, Antoinette and her friend took one of the allocated buses to Slane Castle at roughly 3 p.m. By 11 p.m., both women had returned to Dublin City from the concert. The next step for Antoinette and her friend was a nightclub known as La Molaz on Saint on, on a Pennell Street, where they meet up with two of the friends. When the group left the club at 2 a.m., a small argument broke out between Antoinette and the friends she had attended the concert with, and Antoinette's friend decided to return home to, to Club Bank. But she gave Antoinette a key to her house before she left. By now, Antoinette's two other friends decided to also go home. They walked with Antoinette to a taxi rank in O'Call's Street, where they took a taxi home to Belon. The last item the two friends had of Antoinette was of her walking towards O'Connell Bridge at 2.30 a.m. dressed in a pair of blue jeans and a David Bowie t-shirt she bought earlier. On Tuesday the 14th of July, Carl Smith, Antoinette's ex, reported his wife missing to Calgary and Grotta Station, bizarrely, Carl was told to go home and return to the station the next day with a photograph of Antoinette. Carl returned to the station the next day with Antoinette's friend and neighbor with whom she had attended the David Bowie concert with four days previously. The friend gave a gritty detail 
account of the events of the previous Saturday night and Sunday morning. Based on the front account, the Guadi launched an investigation along with a high-profile media campaign. Unfortunately, no evidence emerged as to what happened to Antoinette some 10 months after Antoinette had been reported missing on the 3rd of April, 1988. A young family were out walking in a remote part of Dublin Wicklow Mountains, known as the Glengo, when they made a horrifying discovery, that of human remains. At first, the gritty had little idea of what the person was that the family had discovered, found. However, the identification of the decomposed David Bowie t-shirt led Gwini to believe that the person may be Antoinette. Later, a key found with the body was tested on the front door of Antoinette's friend's home, and in it worked, thus confirming that the guado, that the body belonged to Antoinette Smith. A forensic examination of Antoinette's body concluded she, was most like, she most likely died through anaphylaxia. Two plastic bags were found around Antoinette's body concluded that she most likely died through relaxants. Antoinette's head and there was no evidence of trauma. An effort was made to conceal Antoinette's body but heavy rain had led to the collapse of soil around what appeared to be a makeshift grave. An investigation heated up a re- Chapman of Antoinette's movements around the 11th and 12th of July was aired on national television across Ireland, which led to the emergence of two vital, vital witnesses. The first witness was a taxi man who had been working in Dublin City on the night Antoinette disappeared. The taxi driver told Greedy that at roughly 3.30 a.m. on the 12th of January, he was held down by a man on West on West Mullen Street, just yards from O'Connell Bridge. The same bridge Antoinette was seen walking towards by her two friends at 2.30 a.m. When the man entered the taxi, the two other passengers also entered another man and a woman. The first man who entered the taxi was described as short, mouthy, with dark hair parted in the middle and a spike with a strong Dublin accent. Whilst the second man was described as a much taller with dark hair and quiet. The taxi man described the woman as late 20s, well-spoken, dark color, length hair, and a and wearing a David Bowie t-shirt. The man also recounted to the girl that the woman had a distinct tooth on the right side of her hand, a feature that Antoinette's brother had previously used to describe her to Gritty. Throughout the journey, the taxi driver was able to overhear parts of the conversation. He recounted that it appeared they had met at a fast food which was known as I am going to butcher this Akahihaba on West Moreland Street and decided to go to a party in South Dublin suburb of Fahanam 
at the foothills of Dublin Wicklow Mountains. It seemed the taxi driver that the female passenger knew the two male passengers, but she did, but she was not romantically involved with either. The male passenger instructed the driver to drop him off at a slip road just off of Butterfield Avenue at Wasserham Village. Three passengers then exited the taxi and walked in the direction of the Yellow House pub, which was closed at that time of night. The second witness was a dog walker who had been walking in an area known as Cuff Wood on the morning of the 12th of July, 1987. Cuff Wood is located in the Dublin Wicklow Mountains, roughly two miles from Leonardo, where Antoinette's body was found. At roughly 6 a.m., the dog walker was making his way up the hill in the woods when suddenly a lone male appeared walking towards him. The lone male stopped for a, a moment and continued walking towards the dog walker. The two individuals passed each other. The dog walker said hello but got no response from the other man who made an effort to conceal his face by turning it away as he passed the dog walker. The witness described the man as a roughly 26 years of age, with a thin face, parted hair, and wearing dark clothes. He did not appear to the witness to be dressed for mountain walking and seemed out of place to him. The dog walker noticed that the man was walking towards the car park at the entrance to the woods. He became worried for the safety of his van. There was no other vehicles in the car park. He quickly called his three dogs and began walking towards the car park. While he was walking towards the car park, the dog walker noticed the man was now talking to another man. The men noticed the dog walker behind them and began to walk at a faster pace. When the witness reached the car park, he could no longer see either of the men and then drove home. The witness told Gwadi that he did not hear any other vehicles driving away from the area and was adamant that he would have heard another vehicle driving away in such an isolated area. Despite these witnesses' accounts being published nationally through numerous mediums, no one ever came forward to Gwadi to offer an explanation for these two incidents. Most unfortunately, nobody has ever been arrested or charged in relation to murder of Antoinette Smith. Patricia Daughtry spent Monday, the 23rd of December, 1991, like most young mothers, one in, one in errands for Christmas. Throughout the day, Patricia had her hair cut, so bought Christmas gifts at the Old Barn Shopping Center and did, for, and did some further shopping at the Square Toilet. Patricia returned to her home in uh, in Arlington Lawns, Tallard, South Dublin, just before 9 p.m. However, she soon decided to return to the old barn center and buy Santa hats for her children. This would be the last time Patricia's family saw her. On Christmas Day 1991, during the afternoon, Patrick Daughtry, Patricia's husband, arrived at Talath Goddess Station to report his wife missing. When Patrick told the Goddess 
but the last time he saw Patricia was at 9 p.m. on the 23rd of December. They became suspicious as to why it had taken so long for Patricia to be reported missing, especially at Christmas time. When asked about this, Patrick told Greta that his wife had recently started a new job as a prison guard at Mount Joy Prison, and she would often work long eccentric shifts that sometimes emerged into one another. Patrick told Greta he presumed his wife had been called into work between the 23rd and 24th of December and only became concerned when he didn't see his wife on Christmas morning. At first, Patrick phoned Mountain Joy Prison who informed him that Patricia hadn't been in work at the two previous days. Then he contacted her family who had not heard from Patricia, which prompted him to contact the Guardi. By this time, Patricia was reported missing. Significant time in relegation to the police investigation had been lost. Coupled with the report being filled on Christmas Day, the investigation began slowly. Nevertheless, Guardi were able to find a witness who reported seeing Patricia at 9.20 p.m. on December 23rd, walking past Bridget Bunk's pub towards Old Bond Shopping Center, wearing a full-length black Mac, brown Mac jacket and a gold scarf around her neck. This sighting seemed to corroborate Patrick Daughtry's vision of events occurring the night of the 23rd to Guardi. A second witness came forward stating that he saw a woman matching matching. Patricia's description entering a red car at the entrance of Old Barn Shopping Center. However, the vitality of the second witness's account was questioned by Bugatti as they were as they were a known criminal. If this was the sole reason as to why the second witness account was not taken seriously, it was worrying, and the question has to be asked as to why would a criminal lie in these circumstances. Patricia Daughtry had absolutely no connection to criminally and there is nothing for the second witness to gain by coming forward to Daughtry. Perhaps when such a person comes forward with a potential viral account of an event, it should be taken more seriously as criminals do not usually help the police investigations and may only come forward in relation to a serious matter such as a young innocent mother being abducted. No other witnesses or information ever emerged for Gretti's despite their widespread public appeals and full-scale missing person investigations. On the 21st of June 1992, a man was cut in tough in the Dublin Wicklow Mountains in an area known as Grassy Market Breaks less than a mile from where Antoinette Smith's body was found during the spring of 88, when he also found human remains. While it was cut and tough, the man noticed a part of a bog had collapsed due to, due to heavy rain, and in the collapsed area, he could see a brown mac coat. Upon further inspection, he no noticed that there was a body underneath the coat. He quickly ran to the nearest house and called the Gordy. The key was found in a victim's clothing. This key was later tested on Patricia's front door and it worked much like in the ant and it worked much as like in the ant.
Antoinette Smith case. This confirmed to Gritty that the body belonged to Patricia Dodger. This was later further confirmed by Gritty through dental records. The, the, the then Irish state pathologist Professor Harbiginson concluded that Patricia was most likely strangled as there was no sign of trauma or gunshot. The exact same conclusion was given in relation to Antoinette Smith's death. A search of the area found some of Patricia's property scattered throughout the vicinity, including a gold head scarf she was wearing the day she vanished. It is now 31 years later since Patricia's daughter was murdered, and nobody has ever been convicted of a murder, nor have any arrests ever been made. At this, at, at the time, there was a widespread, a, a widespread media campaign and a televised reconstruction of Patricia's last moments, which led to numerous people contacting Gordy, but no useful information came to light. The possibility that Patricia may have been murdered due to her job as a prison guard was investigated, but nothing at all came from this possible lead. In fact, Patricia was assumingly lied by by the staff at her work in, in the inmates like the and she was suspected by all. No explanation has ever emerged as to why someone would want to murder Patricia and her family remains without answers. Annie was a 26-year-old single woman living in Sandy Mount Dublin at the time she vanished. She was originally from Bayport, Long Island, New York, and had moved to Ireland firstly in 1987 to study teaching at St. Patrick's College. Annie returned to New York there in 1990, but decided to relocate to Ireland again in early 1993. During the morning of Friday, the 26th of March, 1993, Annie caught her friend Annie O'Drew to see if she would like to go hiking with her in the Dublin and Wicklow Mountains later that day. Unfortunately, Annie had received injuries to her foot and was unable to accompany Annie. It then appeared that Annie decided to go hiking in the Dublin and Wicklow Mountains by herself. It can't be ruled out that she arranged to meet with someone else. However, no evidence has been found that she planned to meet with someone else that Friday. On the morning of Friday, the 26th of March, 1993, Annie's two housemates left their apartment to return to their homes in the countryside for the weekend. Annie decided to knit until roughly 11 a.m. and then decided to run a few errands. She, visit, she visited her local bank on Sandy Mount Road and then bought some groceries from Quinsworth, also on Sandy Mount Road. Annie returned home at 3 p.m., but left quickly at 3.15 when she was spotted leaving her apartment building by a young plumber named Brand Seren as he was carrying out work outside her apartment complex. Surprisingly, Annie never unpacked her groceries, which her friends described as unusual for her. A few minutes later, Annie was spotted by a local fast food restaurant named Bruno Bawaza, walking along New Grove Avenue towards a bus stop. Then, Andy boarded the 18 bus, heading towards the 
upmarket Dub- Dublin suburb of Ringwall. Her reason for travelling to Ringwall was to board another bus, the number 44 bus, that would bring her to Pick Square village of Expany in the Dublin and in the Dublin and Wickle Mountains. Annie was spotted queuing for the forty four bus by a former work colleague, Emil O'Glady. They both boarded the bus but Ilamir got off the bus before Annie did. They never spoke while whilst on the bus, but Emil is convinced she saw Annie that day and O'Grady had little reason to doubt her. Annie would have reached Enniscarry at roughly 5 p.m. that evening, which is rather late to begin exploring the countryside considering the sun set would start at 6.15 p.m. at that time of year in Ireland. One thing that puzzled the Grady at the time was that there was no positive sighting of Annie in the village of Ansbury that evening. Annie was a tall woman at 5 foot 8 and had long flowing curly hair, was wearing a distinctive tweeted jacket and had an American accent, making it all more surprising nobody in the village could remember seeing her or talking to her. One local woman thought she had sold something matching any description, some stamps at the local post office. Unfortunately, there was no CCTV in the post office at the time, and the woman who bought the stamps could not be confirmed as any. A security guard at a popular pub in Dublin Wickwell Mountains known as Johnny Fox came forward to Grady claiming that he saw Annie at the pub the, the night she vanished. Sam Doran D- had spotted a woman matching any description talking with, with a man. Sam described the two as being friendly with, with each other. He described the man as roughly 5 foot 9 between the ages of 24 to 28. Cain save athletic build, brown hair, and square jawed, but he had never seen the man in the pub before. Sam also remembered asking the man and woman to pay the small cover charge, which the man paid, allowing them to access the lounge area of the pub. 